Hi, hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between. I am your host, Jessica Lemon, and you are listening to Sour, Sweet, and Spooky. I want to start off by apologizing for being a little late this week. Some life stuff happened that threw things up in the air, but everything is good, everyone is okay, and I'm ready to get into this story with you. So last week, I asked you all a question, and I got a fun suggestion on what to call you all from a listener and fellow podcaster, Georgia, who is one half of Broadcast from the Belfry. Check them out. I have been binging their show, and I feel like, honestly, we could all be friends. You know, just just saying. I mean, F is for friends who do stuff together, right? And podcasting is something we all do. But anyway, her and Sanjay, her co-host, also have a show about weird, spooky, creepy things. And Georgia grew up in England and said that in England, seeds from fruit, especially lemons and oranges, are called pips. And I think that's adorable, but what do you guys think? Pips. Hi, hello, Pips. You're listening to Sour, Sweet, and Spooky. (laughs) It makes me think of pups, and I mean, like, who doesn't love puppies? I have a 100-pound puppy with me right now. So just let me know you all think about that. I also wanted to remind you all about my merch available on the SourSweetSpooky.com website and how it really does help me out so much when you guys order. So please check it out. Now. (sighs) Now. (laughs) It just got spooky. Now, I hope you are all ready for a doozy because this is a multi-parter. So get your glass of wine or bag of chips or random task to do while you listen to me in the background and get ready for a brand new story. Almost two years ago, I moved to Los Angeles, California, the city of angels, a city full of life and art and fame and fortune, a city with a history that spans decades and generations. So many events have happened here that have taken the world by storm. Films, riots, protests, murders, cults, celebrities, and more. A place that has an endless amount of true crime and paranormal stories that go with that true crime that I can't even begin to imagine how many hours I could spend researching this place. But one story in particular has always stuck out to me. There's a lot to this one. And today's episode will be a bit longer than the last, because today I'm taking on some true crime. Over the next few days, yes, days, you're going to be getting some extra content this week. I'm going to be telling you all about Charles Manson. His attempted music career, cult family, and the LaBianca and Tate murders. I'm also going to dive into some of the more paranormal aspects that involve the Tate house and the ranch Charles and his followers lived on. This is part one of the Manson family. Charles Manson was born on November 12, 1934, in Cincinnati, Ohio, to a mother who was only 16 years old. Her name was Kathleen Maddox, and she made a living as a sex worker and was a heavy alcoholic. Originally, Charles had no name. When he left the health center as an infant, he was legally known as No Name Maddox. But shortly before his birth, his mother had married William Manson, and just a few weeks into his infancy, No Name was given a new name, one that would become infamous Charles Manson. Charles had a rough childhood, and I mean 
rough. From a young age, he wasn't treated well by his mother, who once bartered him for a pint of beer. She actually gave him away for a glass of beer. Can you imagine being that waitress or bartender and someone just offered you their baby for a drink? Her brother had to go out and find him to bring him home. Kathleen would run away with her brother Luther to go on drinking binges and would just leave Charles with a babysitter. On Charles's first day of school, Luther dressed him up in little girl's clothing because he claimed that since Charles cried so much that basically if he was going to act like a crybaby, he's going to dress like one. Which makes me so mad because that's just not okay. You don't treat children like that. You don't, you just, you just don't. And boys cry too. Heck, boys should cry more. Listen, if you're a boy and you cry, I'm proud of you. Okay, back on track. Went on a little tangent there. So Kathleen got divorced from William Manson only three years into their relationship. And soon after, Kathleen and Luther were arrested for assault and robbery and sentenced to five to ten years in prison. Charles was sent to live with his aunt in West Virginia. And when his mother was paroled and returned to the family, he remembers those days as being the best and happiest of his life. But not long had passed when the family moved again and his mother fell into her old habits and picked up the bottle. She was arrested for grand larceny, which is theft, but of property worth a significant amount. It ranges depending on where you are, but it's usually in the thousands. And luckily for her, she wasn't convicted. Not long after that, they moved again. This time out of state, to Indiana, where Kathleen met another alcoholic at Alcoholics Anonymous named Lewis, who she married in 1943. Now, Charles is only nine years old at this point, and all he's known is crime in prison and alcohol problems, which is what led to some of his first offenses. In an interview with Diane Sawyer on 2020, he mentioned that when he was nine, he set his school on fire and was always committing petty theft, little things here and there. But it was when he turned 13 and was unable to stay with his family, he was sent to Gilbalt School for Boys in Indiana. I looked into this school and it was not a good place. It was run by Catholic priests and was super strict that even the tiniest infraction ended with a beating. They used wooden paddles and strips of leather to whip the boys. As soon as he could, Charles escaped. He ran away from the school and made his way back to his family, sleeping under bridges in the woods until he finally made it home. But his mother sent him back. He spent almost a year at that school before he ran away for good. He made his way to Indianapolis, where his first real crime took place. In 1948, he robbed a grocery store. At first, he just wanted food, but he came across a cigar box with over $100 in it, which in today's money is a little over 1000 He quickly pocketed it and later used the money to rent a room and get some food in the city. Nothing fancy, but enough to get him by, at least for a little while. Charles tried to get a normal job, put himself on the right path, you know? At this point, he was just a 15-year-old kid in 1948 trying to get by, but he began committing petty thefts because to him, that's just what people did, but it caught up with him. A sympathetic judge sent him to Boys Town. This was a juvenile facility in Nebraska instead of jail, but Charles only stayed there for four days before breaking out with another student named Blackie Nielsen. Somehow, the two managed to get a gun, stole a car, and went on to commit two armed robberies. They were on their way to Nielsen's uncle's home in Illinois. Now, this man was a professional thief and taught Blackie and Charles his tricks. But those tricks didn't save Charles from getting arrested after another attempted robbery that connected him to the ones the boys had committed only a couple of weeks before. This landed Charles in another reform school. 
This one is worse than the ones before. Manson was sent to the Indiana Boys School where it's alleged that with the encouragement of one of the staff members, Manson was raped and beaten regularly by the other boys at the school. He tried to run away and attempted to escape 18 times. He was so brutally assaulted that he actually created a game. When he was too weak to fight the other boys off, he'd pretend to go crazy. He'd scream and flail his arms as much as he could. He'd make inhuman noises all to hopefully convince his attackers that he was insane. But nothing helped and eventually he did what he did best. He ran away. Charles and two other boys from the school escaped and with stolen cars, they headed for California. They made it to Utah before being arrested for committing a federal crime. You know, driving a stolen vehicle across state lines. And that's what sent Charles back to reform school. He was now sent to Washington, D.C.'s National Training School for Boys. Here, they actually tested his IQ and found it to be 109. Some articles I read claim it to have been 121, but I saw 109 more. Even with this IQ, he couldn't read and was illiterate. He was also deemed aggressively antisocial by his caseworker. In October 1951, Manson was transferred to Nature Bridge Honor Camp, where he had a scheduled parole hearing set for February 1952. But in January, just a few weeks before his hearing, he was caught raping a boy by knife point and was transferred to the Federal Reformatory in Virginia, where he continued to commit awful crimes. He was reported eight times for serious offenses, three of which were described as, quote, homosexual acts, which to me means he raped three more times while he was there. He was then moved to a maximum security facility in Ohio that he was meant to stay at until he turned 21 in November of 1955. Manson at the time was 18, but due to good behavior, he was released early in May of 1954. Soon after his release, Manson married a nurse named Rosalie Jean Willis. Not Rosalie Cullen, you know, Twilight. Anyone? No. Okay. Well, anyway, they made their way to Los Angeles in another stolen car with his now pregnant wife, but it wasn't long before he was, no surprise, arrested again. But instead of tossing him back in jail, they gave him a psychological evaluation and he was given five years of probation instead. But he failed to appear in court for another offense that had happened in Florida, which resulted in his 1956 arrest and his probation being revoked. He was sentenced to three years at Terminal Island in San Pedro, California. While there, his wife Rosalie gave birth to their first child, Charles Manson Jr. But soon, her visit stopped, and Manson was informed that she was with another man. Only two weeks before his scheduled parole hearing, Manson attempted to escape by, does anyone have a guess? Yeah, by stealing a car. He was given five years of probation, and his parole was denied. Here's where things start to get a little more culty, because in 1958, when he received five years parole and Rosalie filed for divorce, to support himself, he started pimping out a 16-year-old girl and used another girl for her family's money. He soon pleaded guilty to a charge on him about his attempt to cash a forged U.S. Treasury check, which he claimed that he stole from a mailbox, which is also a federal crime. But that charge was eventually dropped. I feel like I just keep bringing up and thens. Like the scene in Dude Where's My Car when Ashton Kutcher and Sean William Scott are getting Chinese food and the person taking their order just keeps saying and then and then and then and then like a million times until Ashton just destroys the talk box. Because and then 
Manson received a 10-year suspended sentence and probation after a young woman named Leona, who had an arrest record for prostitution, pleaded to the judge that her and Manson were deeply and madly in love, and that if he were freed, they would marry. And before the year was up, that's exactly what they did. Manson took Leona and another woman to New Mexico with intentions of using them for prostitution. This landed him again under investigation. He was arrested in June of 1960 and returned to Los Angeles, and because he violated his probation, he was ordered to serve his 10-year sentence. He spent a whole year trying to get his probation back, but in July of 1961, he was transferred to Washington to the United States Penitentiary. It was here that he was taught how to play guitar by Alvin Creepy Carpus, who was a gang leader. Manson fell in love with music and the guitar and wanted nothing more than to become a rock star. Manson also made friends at the penitentiary, and another inmate was able to give the name of Phil Kaufman, a contact for Manson to use out in Hollywood. In 1961, a psychologist said that Manson had a tremendous drive to call attention to himself, which was again reiterated in 1964. Eventually, Leona filed for divorce and revealed that she and Manson had a child, Charles Luther. That's two kids he's had, named Charles. In June 1966, Manson was sent back to Terminal Island to prepare for his official release, but by now, at only 32 years old, he had spent more than half of his life in and out of institutions and jails and prisons, and he said that they felt more like home to him than anywhere else, and asked if he could stay. This request was denied, and he was set free. I imagine what things would have been like if he wasn't set free. How many people would still be alive? It's like how I imagine things would have been if Hitler had been accepted into art school. Only on, like, a minuscule scale, comparatively. Because they don't... they don't match. Anyway... Now Manson is free from incarceration. He has served his time, and as much as he said he just wanted to stay and play music, Charles just had a charm to him. He began to gain a following, people who would grovel after him and hang on his every word. In part two, I dive into how Manson gained his, quote, family, all about helter-skelter, and what led to the murders of Sharon Tate and the La Biancas. much information. I really wanted to keep going, but I want to make sure that I have all of the information right and I don't want to overwhelm you with too much at once. I know the multi-part leaves you on your toes, but hey, who knows? Maybe I'll release part two even earlier than in a few days. So make sure to subscribe to whatever platform you listen on because you'll be the first to get the show as soon as it's live. As always, thank you all so much for listening. If you're interested in finding out more information about today's show, you know, if I didn't bore you enough already, check out my website, soursweetspooky.com. You'll find some photos as well in all of my source links there. And like I said earlier, I also have merch. I have stickers, pins, magnets. It's a really great way to support me and the show. It would also be amazing if you could rate and review on whatever platform you're listening on. I have seen some reviews already and they are so sweet. So if you've written one, thank you so much. It really does mean the world. And you know, it does, it helps me out. So do that if you'd like. Also, if you want, you can follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter for some extra content. It's just at Sour Sweet Spooky. And my personal socials, 
if you want to follow me are at Jessica Lemon. You can also reach out to me through my email, which is just soursweetspooky at gmail.com or Facebook messages or Instagram DMs. I check all of it daily because I love to hear more from you guys. I love talking to you. You can send in recommendations for future stories, questions you have about me or the show, comment on the show, or just stop by and say hi. Thank you again so much for listening. I am your host, Jessica Lemon, and I'll see you soon with more to this story. And remember, stay sour, stay sweet, stay spooky.